Now would you turn with me please to that portion of God's word that we read, the Song of Solomon and chapter 6. The Song of Solomon and chapter 6. And we consider, as the Lord would enable us this morning, the words from (coughs) verse 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 6 and verse 1. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him? Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him. Now I'm sure you are aware that this book before us, the Song of Solomon, uh, is a book that has been open to very many uh, various and uh, inaccurate interpretations. And we could go through and explain what those are. But let me just say this, that the traditional Reformed interpretation of the Song of Solomon is that what we have here is an account of a bride and a bridegroom. And that represents Christ and the church, Christ and his people. And there is this relationship that uh, comes across right throughout the Song of Solomon. And we see that there are times when, when that uh, union, that, that marriage is, is there. But the enjoyment of that marriage, the, the communion, uh, is not always present. Indeed, there are times when uh, we see that there is a sluggishness and uh, a lack of warmth in the heart of the bride for the bridegroom. And this is, at this juncture in time, this is exactly what has just taken place. There is this period when the bride, the church, the believer, whatever we like to call her, she has grown cold towards the bridegroom. Her heart has has been deflected away from that relationship, that love, that focus upon him. And then you will remember that she cries out from the midst of that when she has been brought to this realization that the coldness has come into her heart. She cries out, where is he whom my soul loveth? So what we have before us is this great account of the union and communion with Christ. And I want us to consider, as the Lord would enable us this morning, three thoughts that come out of this verse 1 and chapter 6. First of all, there is this. There was something present in this bride that was obvious. There was something present that was obvious. The second thing is this, there was someone absent who was desirable. And thirdly, there was something needable, uh, needful and reachable. Uh, 
So the first thing is this. There was something present and obvious. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? Now who is speaking here in this verse? Well, it is the daughters of Jerusalem. And who are the daughters of Jerusalem? And this is often one of the the disputed uh, interpretations of the Song of Solomon. Some say that the daughters of Jerusalem is another name for the church. But here we know that the church is called the bride. There are those, and they say, uh, and there is perhaps some truth in this, that uh, the daughters of Jerusalem are the world. But the daughters of Jerusalem, uh, to me and to some of the, uh, the great commentators of the past, which is more important, is that the daughters of Jerusalem refer to those who are within the bounds of the church. And they are looking on at this bride who has the bridegroom. They, they have this, this desire to be, perhaps, the bride of the bridegroom. But as yet, they are not the bride of the bridegroom. They are in the outward sphere of the church. But they see something in the bride. They see a beauty in the bride. And so they say to her, Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? You see, isn't that the great wonder today? And we would say that even as the Lord's people today. Uh, Perhaps we would not even say that, that there is a beauty that the Lord has said that is within his people. They are the fairest among women. The world will regard them as something strange. Who was this that cometh up out of the wilderness, leaning upon the arm of the beloved? Who was asking that question? Well, it was the daughters of Jerusalem, the very same people. They were asking that question. It wasn't out of a lack of information. They knew who she was. They knew that this was the bride. But they were so enraptured in wonder that there was a beauty in her to behold. Who is this that cometh up out of the wilderness? Well, this is the very same thing here. They see within her a beauty. They say that she is the fairest among women. They even confess that she is more beautiful than they are themselves. Now, friends, this morning we can come and say, well, that perhaps is a a questionable statement. Uh, We we all know at times, and uh, we have all perhaps witnessed the the horror of those who profess the Lord's name, and they, they draw back, or they fall back, or they reject, or they apostatize from the things of the Lord. But you see, we have to be careful that there is a a difference between confession and possession. They don't always mean the same thing. There might be those, and they go away from the Lord for all time. They, They die in that state. 
Well, friends, what are we to conclude? Well, that there was no possession to begin with. <coughs> but we do know that many uh, of the Lord's people who fall are brought back. And we can see that in the life of David. David was brought back. Uh, David was restored. And a child of God might slip, but they will never stay in that darkness of despair and apostasy. It is impossible for them to do so. We can uh, perhaps evidence at, at times that entire congregations and denominations fall away and they go into that apostasy. They, they fall away from, from the truth. We're not denying that those things happen. Uh, but we are saying that those who are in Christ, nevertheless, the text tells us here that there is a beauty in them. And the Lord keeps, and the Lord restores, and the Lord is good, and the Lord is merciful. So how is it that this bride has a beauty? Is it a beauty that she has within herself? Well, of course it is not. We know that this beauty is a beauty that is given to her. It is the, the righteousness of Christ. It is the beauty of Christ. And this, this beauty, this righteousness, is an imputed righteousness. Now, what does that uh, mean? Well, it means that she doesn't have it of herself, but it is reckoned to her charge. Before the tribunal of God, when God looks down upon his people, he sees this beauty. He sees the beauty of his own blessed son that is reflected back onto himself. And this beauty of Christ that he sees in his people is a beauty that is pleasing unto him. It is pleasing unto him. And it is that, that righteousness that gives them their standing, that holiness that gives them their standing. I know that there is a, a, a text, and perhaps this text has very often been, been one that when we were still outside of Christ, when we were the daughters of Jerusalem, that we couldn't fully grasp, and uh, it perhaps was something that uh, out of fear kept us back from the things of the Lord. That text, holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And so we, we uh, had this belief that the, the only holiness uh, that we were to have was, was something uh, that was associated with our own works. And of course, if it is something that is associated with our own works, how can we ever have those works enough in which we shall be able to see the Lord? But of course, that is not the holiness that is mentioned. The holiness that is meant is the holiness of Christ. The holiness of Christ that has been given to us. And it is without that holiness, no man shall ever see the Lord. And those who are the Lord's who have that holiness of Christ that is laid to them, imputed to them, are those that at death are made perfect in righteousness. And without that holiness, no man shall ever see the Lord. So when the daughters of Jerusalem come here, 
and they say that she is the fairest among women, they are looking not to her works, not to her standing, but they are looking at that beauty that marks out the believer. There is a beauty that is inward and not outward. It is the inwardness of the soul. Now, this this beauty, where does it come from? Well, we have justification, that, that act of God's free grace. When a man or a woman or a young person is brought to that saving knowledge upon Jesus Christ, and at that point in time when they let go of themselves and their selves become nothing to them and Christ's finished work becomes everything, and in that trusting moment, they are indeed justified before God. Well, a fruit of that justification, a fruit of that justification is sanctification itself. It is that which flows from union with Christ. And from that sanctification, there will be uh, those obvious marks of grace. Now, it seems to have become the norm today that uh, we, we don't speak about marks of grace. It seems to have become the norms today that uh, we, we don't look for, for fruit in the life. That as long as a person makes a profession, then we are to, to leave that, that profession unquestioned. And of course, there is a danger if we are merely looking to the works and to those marks alone. But friends, we are not antinomians. We're not those who are against the law. There is to be fruit in the life. So when they come here and they they see her, there is obviously fruit that is within the life. You can't have somebody who uh, confesses and professes Christ's name uh, and and there is nothing to show. That is is why many will, will have a lack of assurance. Because when they they look to themselves, they have nothing to show. Uh, There is is nothing there. And here, there was obviously something to show because the imputed righteousness of Christ was demonstrated in the life. Well, we know, friends, that even those who are outside of Christ... Even those can be said to do good at times. Uh, we, we read that in Luke chapter 6 and verse 33. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? We know that there are those today and they will be engaged in, in many works, philanthropy and, and so on. Uh, but friends, it, it, is, it is something that that flows from who they themselves are and not flowing from Christ himself. But as Paul says to the Romans in chapter 14, And he that doubted is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So even the good that man does, if it is not of faith, it is not pleasing unto the Lord. 
So there was something present and obvious, something there that reflected Christ in the soul. But there was someone absent and desirable. There was someone absent and desirable. Whither is thy beloved turned aside? Whither is thy beloved turned aside? You see, what there was here was there was an upset in the relationship. There was an upset in the relationship. You see, here the bride had got off to a poor start. There was this sluggish spirituality, as we said. Now, chapter 5, and uh, at the opening of chapter 5, I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink. Yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? Now you notice that it is Christ who comes and he knocks at the door. Christ who comes and says, open the door. The door was closed. And friends, many times uh, as believers we can have that, that closed door of communion with the Lord. Those closed doors of fellowship with the Lord. And isn't that brought out uh, before us in uh, Revelation? Uh, Behold, Christ says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in and will sup at him and he with me. You know, friends, today it is not only the, the doors of denominations that are closed to the Lord. It is not only the day of, of congregations with doors that are closed to the Lord. If, if the Lord comes and he, he knocks at the door of this church, is the door open to him? Well, it will be if there is that communion in our hearts. If our heart is open for fellowship and for meditation and delight in him, there will be that communion. You see here there was a fragmentation in the relationship. And if there is a fragmentation in the marriage bond, that's not healthy. It is not good. You see, throughout the Song of Solomon, uh, it, can, it can either be, be two, two great expressions that we, we often use isn't it? Um, it's either a, a, a case where there is this fragmentation uh, out of sight, out of mind. And so often if, if that relationship is, is impaired, it will be that. <coughs> or it can be. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, here it is a case, thankfully, that absence did make the heart grow fonder. Because as we, we come and we see towards the end, there is this close relationship 
with the Lord. Nevertheless, here, it was a fragmented relationship. But whether it is a case of absence makes the heart grow fonder, or out of sight, out of mind, uh, is very important. We, we have a sense of that in the New Testament. And we have the sense of that with Judas Iscariot, don't we? And Judas Iscariot, uh, you will remember, he had this, this outward appearance that he had fellowship with the Lord. But of course, he didn't have that fellowship with the Lord. And you will remember that when the, uh, the alabaster box was, was going to be, to be broken and uh, there was going to be that, that pouring out of worship upon the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, you will remember that there were those and they, they said that this was a waste. Uh, look at how many pence was going to be saved. And we know that the, the cost of that alabaster box was something in the region of the equivalent today of ten to 15,000 uh, that was poured out in the worship of the Lord. Well, who was the one that objected to that? It was, it was Judas. It was Judas. You will remember that Judas was the treasurer. You will remember that Judas was, was the man that held the purse. And he thought because he was the treasurer and he held the purse that he was somehow in, in control of, of the worship of Christ. But you see, he wasn't because that portrayed what was within his heart later on. And Judas, we are told, he never came back. Because he couldn't, because it was written that he would go to his own place. Now contrast that with Peter. Peter had denied the Lord. Peter had, had, had brought dishonor upon the Lord. And yet the Lord came to him. And he asked the question, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? He asked that question three times. And it's interesting if you were to, I, I may have mentioned this before, but if you, if you look at the words that are, are used there for love, when the Lord comes and he asks Peter twice, do you love me? It is that strong, strong word. It's, it's agape. It's a very strong, intense word. And Peter, each of the times, returns, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. But Peter's using a different word. He's using the word for, for friendship, filial. And he's basically saying, deep down in my heart, I cannot say, because I'm conscious of my sin. I'm conscious of my denial. I cannot say in that strong sense of the term that I love thee, that it is that agape, that strong love. And the third time Christ comes back and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Christ this time uses the word filial. You see the Lord's compassion on one that was his own, that he had set his love upon, one that he had brought back by his power unto himself. And the bride comes here in all of her weakness and in all of her frailty, just like you and just like me. And friends, we are conscious of that. We're conscious of our weakness and our frailty. We don't have arrogance. 
Oh, that the Lord would forbid that we have arrogance. Or that we have this superiority that we are uh, in, in Christ. But that rather with our recognition of our frailty, we, we have that compassion upon others. And we have that, that sense that the Lord does indeed woo us back. And he woos our heart back. And he brings into our lives conviction of sin. And that conviction of sin might be an intense conviction of sin. Or it might not be an intense conviction of sin. But it will be enough to bring us back unto himself. Or indeed to bring us to himself. If we haven't yet been brought unto him. Then he shows us his beauty. Conviction of sin is one thing. But to see and be brought to see the beauty of Christ is another thing. I cannot remember which of the Puritans I was recently reading who mentioned this, this very same thing. There might be a conviction of sin. But it is to see the beauty of Christ that is the mark that the Lord has been working in the heart and in the life. And I suppose we can go to the Acts of the Apostles and we, we, we can see that, can't we? In those who uh, the Lord had, had outwardly under the, the preaching of, of the word had, had, had brought them to, to tremble. In the case of Felix. You see, there was a trembling there. There was a conviction there to a certain degree. There might even have been a conviction of sin, but there was no recognition of the beauty of Christ. And friends, it is the beauty of Christ, of the one who is the beloved, that leads us after him. Our time is going, and indeed has quickly gone. But thirdly, I want us to consider this. There was something needful and reachable. <coughs> something needful and reachable. <coughs> You'll notice here uh, that, that we have these, these words, Whether is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee. Now there might have been those that day, and when they heard the daughters of Jerusalem saying, where is he that we may also seek him? Where is he that he might be uh, our bridegroom as well? No doubt there were those and they were saying, ah, but are they, are they sincere? Do they really want to, to seek uh, the bridegroom? And you will remember that there was, there was something like that in, in, in Pharaoh. Uh, um, there was something like that in Herod, rather. And you will remember that, that Herod said, you know, uh, show us where the Christ is, that, that we might come and, and, and worship him. Of course, there was an insincerity in, in, in Herod. Um, but friends, those who have this desire for Christ, it is a desire that has been placed there. The Lord has placed it there. The Lord has... Uh, has so placed that in their mind. And, and very often when there is, and I know this 
in, in, in the pastoral ministry as well. When the Lord is working with someone, they, they, will, often, they will often say, Ah, but perhaps these good thoughts of the things of, of, of the Lord, good as they may be, the devil might have placed them in my mind. How do I know that I have the root of the matter in my heart at all? <clears throat> Friends, the devil does not place a thought about Christ in the mind. He will place a thought that you are well as you are outside of Christ. All is well with your soul. He will place the thought that you have uh, lots of, of time and you have much time uh, to come uh, onto uh, Christ in confession and in submission. He will tell you those things. He will not place the thought of Christ in your heart. But you see here, there was this desire amongst the, the daughters of Jerusalem that they would marry to the bridegroom. Well, friends, is that so today? Are there those here and you are amongst the daughters of Jerusalem? Or if we were to perhaps make it uh, applicable to all, the, the sons of Jerusalem, uh, that you would have this desire that Christ would be yours and you would say that I am my beloved's and my beloved is, is mine. Well, we pray that that might be so, that the words of verse 3 would indeed be your words. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. What is that speaking of? That's speaking about the great union between Christ and his people. The all-sufficiency of Christ embracing his people. So there is something that is needful and reachable. It is a sincerity in the heart. The second thing is this, that there is this recognition of, of a beauty in Christ, and we have touched on that, that we may seek him, that our words would not be suspicious, that we would not have a suspicion of our own words, but there would be a genuine seeking of Christ. You see here, the bride was shaken from her sluggishness. And she was shaken from this sluggishness by gazing upon Christ and his finished work. We have that in chapter 5 and verse 14. Chapter 5 and verse 14. See where she speaks here of him? His hands are as gold rings set with the pearl. You see, now she's looking at the hands of the beloved. The hands of Christ. The atoning hands of Christ. She sees a beauty in him. And she wants to follow him. She wants to embrace him. I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine. So something needful and reachable. Sincerity. Beauty. But then we notice that there is a finding. My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices. To feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. Notice where Christ has gone now. 
He has, he has left the home. He has gone down into his garden to feed or to gather the lilies. In chapter 2, we have that reference to the lilies. <coughs> I am the rose of Sharon from the beginning and the lily of the valleys. As Christ is speaking here. He says, I am the rose. He's speaking there about his divinity. And then he reminds us about his humanity and the lily of the valleys, the, the lowliness of Christ. And then in verse 2, he is speaking here about the church. As the lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. The thorns there, that, that speaks about the curse, of course. That speaks about uh, where, where we were in a state of nature. But he says the lily is among the thorns. Christ's people are among the thorns. The, the church, the believers are amongst the thorns. He says they are lilies. You notice what Christ is doing here. He is the lily. His people are the lilies. He's identifying with his people. And they are identifying with him. And they were first called Christians at Antioch. And so there is this finding of his people. He comes and he, he finds them. He calls them out and brings them on to himself. And then, of course, finally there is this, this fellowship, uh, this, this feeding with his people, feeding among the lilies, verse 3. That is, they're speaking about communion. Uh, can, can two sit down and break bread except they be agreed? Well, in a, a short number of weeks, you will be in the will of the Lord, sitting around the table of the Lord. And the table of the Lord, the, the Lord's Supper is the table of fellowship. It is the table of friendship. And it is a picture of that great fellowship and that great friendship that we have in glory. Whether is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whether is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? There is indeed a case of uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder on this fellowship that we have with Christ, this fellowship that we have with the Lord. You know, we are, and I'll just say this as we, we close, <coughs> there are two great dangers that we need to, to remember. The first great danger is this, that we do not see the importance or we do not see the deity or we do not speak about Christ as we ought to and I suppose very often you, you see that in the, in, the professing, uh, in the professing church there will be a lot of talk about God and the, there is little emphasis upon Christ and of course Christ uh, is, is the one who brings us to God he is the one who is God manifest in the flesh. So we need to be a people who are Christocentric, Christ-centered. But the second thing is this. 
we need to be a people, while we are Christ-centered, that we remember the Trinity, that we remember the Father, and we remember the Holy Spirit as we remember the Son. So we are Trinitarians, and it is one God. And that is, that is so vitally important to us to, to remember those things. But it is God in our nature that brings us onto the Father, even in Christ Jesus, the Lord. The Song of Solomon. Well, of course, it is a book that is all about Christ and about his love for his people. And we pray his people's love for him. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray. <coughs> Our gracious and our eternal God, we bow before thee now. And we thank thee that we are saved by grace. We thank thee, Lord, that we are kept by grace. And we're mindful that in Christ that security is not dependent upon the strength of our grasp upon the Saviour but upon the strength of the Saviour's grasp of his people. And gracious Lord, we pray now that thou would go before us, that thou would receive of us, that thou would receive unto thyself the honour, the praise, the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Now we close by singing to God's praise at the end of Psalm number 17. <clears throat> the end of Psalm 17. And at verse 13. Psalm 17 at verse 13. Arise and disappoint <laughs> my foe, and cast them down, O Lord. My soul save from the wicked man, the man which is thy sword. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from worldly men may save, which only in this present life their part and portion have, whose belly with thy treasure hid thou fillest, they children have in plenty of their goods, the rest they too their children leave. But as for me, I thine own face in righteousness will see, and with thy likeness when I wake, I satisfied shall be. Psalm number 17 at verse 13, Arise and disappoint my foe and cast him down, O Lord. <clears throat> Arise and disappoint my foe and Oh.
Now, the following are the intimations this evening's service at the usual time of 6.30pm, the prayer meeting on Thursday at the usual time of 7.30pm, and it is expected that Mr. Ian Martin will take the meeting. The preacher expected next Sabbath is the Reverend John Keddie, and the building fund collection is due today. Now, this is a prior notice of the communion services. The Reverend Thomas Buchanan uh, is booked to come for the 25th of September and has agreed to do services over that weekend. Further details will be given nearer the time. And, of course, all these intimations are subject to the will uh, of the Lord. Let us close with the Lord's benediction. <coughs> The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.